This week's Think Deeper. I'm Jack Wilkie, joined by Joe Wilkie and Will Harab once again. Excited to come to you guys with, uh, I'm going to get a thesaurus out. We always say it's an interesting or exciting episode. We've got a intriguing episode this week. Uh, Pulling out the thesaurus, I like it. Yeah, this guy. we're going to have to come up with a different <laughs> a word every gift. week. Um, so we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, we've got a couple of housekeeping things before. As always, just a couple announcements, things to keep you guys updated on. Uh, number one... We're doing our Think Fast Live, our uh, videos, we're putting them on Facebook, then later on YouTube, but they're live on Facebook Thursday nights at 7 Central on the Focus Press Facebook page. Uh, we've done a couple so far. This is uh, going to be an every week thing, so Thursday nights at 7 Central. Uh, join us over there, comment, uh, watch along, and uh, if you don't get to watch it live, they're on the Facebook page, and so we did one on Tolerance a couple weeks ago. We did one on, uh, well, now I'm drawing a blank because I'm, I'm talking and didn't uh, think to... Uh, go over, but on on the uh, the myth of hateful Christians, uh, we did this the Andy Stanley week. video, right? Yes, yeah. yes, and so uh, the idea that Christians are so hateful towards the sinful, towards LGBT, or towards whatever. So uh, check those out. Number one, number two, um, Joe and I were talking uh, as we were getting together for this, and he had heard from somebody in a certain state, and I had heard from somebody in a different state. And, uh, deep thinkers all over. We want to know. We're going to get a map together of where everyone's listening from, um, Facebook or YouTube. Send us a message, comment. Um, we're we're pretty easy to find. Tell us where you listen from. In fact, we'll put a post out that just asks where where are you from. Uh, if you're from another country, even even better, even cooler. And we um, really want to see how many states are represented. Represented. If you don't feel comfortable with sending your city, no problem. We really want to know how many states exactly that we can get. Yeah. yeah, more than anything. And so we want to get all fifty. Um, and if you know somebody, if we don't have them in the, one of the states, find a friend in Hawaii or something and uh, send them and tell them you need to listen to this so we can fill out our map <laughs> right. here. Um, but yes, please uh, let us know about that. We're, we're very excited about that because our number, we started comparing notes and, and I think we've got a lot more than we thought. So I think we're over 30. I was, I was trying to, from people that I've heard of or looking at the states, I think we might be over 30. But again, it's, it's, this is just intriguing. Yeah, 50 states of deep, deep thinkers. So having said all that, um, let's get into this week's episode. We've been talking for a while about doing an episode on this, on deconstruction. Uh, it's a very popular word these days. Uh, it's something you hear sometimes of people just leaving the faith altogether. Uh, people who grew up in church and, and they deconstruct their faith. They kind of take it apart piece by piece and decide, I don't need this anymore and walk away. I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe in Christianity anymore, whatever it may be. And then you've got others who, who deconstruct but hang on to the parts of it they find useful, they find truthful, they, some of it they just don't value anymore and don't think was right in the first place, and so they get rid of it. And it's, it's a very—people uh, have always walked away from the faith, but it's very much a modern concept of thinking through and explaining and, and even putting videos and content out saying, this is why I don't believe anymore, this is why I've changed my mind on, on Christianity— and so there's a lot of content out there on that, and a lot of people influenced by it. A lot of times when somebody speaks up and says, here's why I left the faith, other people will say, yeah, yeah, that, I, I agree with that, that's wrong, you know, why does the church do that, why do Christians think that, and they drift along with them. And so it's a very pernicious, very dangerous thing that's going on, but we also want to hear those stories a little bit, and, and we've, we've looked at some of them, uh, we've listened to some videos and things like that in preparation. And we want to look at what 
what critiques maybe we can make use of and what things they get wrong. And so we've, we've got a lot to go over here today. Um, Joe, this was, I think you kind of drove this one, but it's something we've all had on our minds. Uh, anything you want to add before we get into the meat of it? Yeah, just my wife is uh, friends with a lot of people back in the Northwest. She comes from Washington State. And it's very sad. She recently had a friend who um, is deconstructing and is posting a lot about it. And that's one of the things that drove this is that's not the first that we've seen one of her friends um, do that. She's had a few that have done that. And each time it's very, very sad, but it's also a time of reflection to say, okay, what actually is happening? It's very easy to take one side and to beat them up and say, well, how dare they? But some of them make legitimate cases, not to leave the faith, but some of them make legitimate cases. And one of the things you're going to hear about, I'm just going to jump right in. One of the things you hear the most is this idea of spiritual trauma. We have spiritual trauma. The church has hurt me, right? Um, I would say this can absolutely happen. There can be people who are forgotten, people that are left out of the church, people that are or, or kind of left out in terms of the youth group didn't really accept them, um, once they came back from from college, maybe they gave it a shot a couple times. They were forgotten. Maybe they were looked down upon because they they committed the sin of fornication and were either kicked out of the church or threatened or whatever it is. I think everybody has some sort of story where people in the church have let them down at any age, whether you're a kid or eighty. If you're eighty, you've probably had that happen a lot. Can that happen? Absolutely. So is spiritual trauma real? Yes, we want to dig a little deeper into it. We're going to get into that in a different part of the outline, um, kind of coming back to this idea of the trauma part. But first and foremost, what I'll say, and then I'm going to pass it to you, Will, is don't make sure we don't make the mistake of blaming them all the time for, well, that's just ridiculous. That's a lie. They have no reason. They might have a reason. Once again, we are not saying it's okay to leave the faith. There's no reason to leave the faith on your own. We can't allow somebody else to push us into a decision that is um, that is so drastic on our own. At the same time, don't make the mistake of writing these people off completely. We need to listen to them first and foremost. Right. It's the idea that they don't really, well, they just don't have any legitimate reason. And, you know, in our eyes and, and mind, mind the word legitimate thrown in there, you know, have any legitimate reason, but to say that they're just, I mean, you think about people that raised in the church their entire life, youth group, you brought up, go to Bible classes, like, you know, they, they were at church every time the doors were open and then all of a sudden they're done with it. You know, they're walking away and it's like, that's typically not something that's just done, you know, at the drop of a hat on a whim. It's usually something that, again, you can throw around the word legitimate. Usually there is a reason. Whether it's legitimate or not, there are there is a reason or there's multiple reasons. And one of the things, so we're going to get into all those. We're going to get into, uh, as Jack said, maybe some of the things that us as the church can kind of learn from and then other things that typically people who are quote-unquote deconstructing really have wrong. We're going to get into both of those things. But, uh, Joe, you, you said it in the sense that with this idea of spiritual trauma, we as the church and we as faithful Christians need to make sure that we are not a party to driving certain people away. I don't think there's any denial that there are certain people in the church that have been treated poorly, that have been treated unkindly. And, and you hear the word hypocrites thrown around a lot, right? Especially by a lot of these people who are deconstructing. Like, oh, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And they kind of use that as a excuse, if you will, kind of a crutch to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to associate with the church if the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. And that that has a problem. That that's kind of a problem in and of itself. The fact that you're letting people drive you away from God. You know what does that say about your desire to serve God? But it does bring up a point, a certain point, that there are certain hypocrites in the church, and it, it needs to be a wake up call for for myself, for all three of us, for anybody listening. 
We need to make sure we're not a, a part of that hypocrite clan that is all about preaching certain things, all about being legalistic, is all about making, you know, putting out this front, but then living something else in our personal lives. I think for young people specifically, that word hypocrite is thrown out quite a bit. The idea yeah. that, well, you guys just preach all this stuff and say this and that, but look at your lives. You don't live it. That's something that we all need to do a reality check on for ourselves to make sure, once again, we're not falling into that hypocritical category. Well, Jesus warned us about stumbling blocks. And better to have a millstone hung around your neck, right, than to make one of these little ones stumble. What does that mean? That means there are people who maybe are hypocrites. There are people who do cause others to stumble. So that's not a problem of 2,000 years ago. That's still a problem of today. That's That can happen where it, it's a devastating thing to see somebody leave the church. But if you were to go back... Yeah, the little decisions and little conversations and little things that happen along the way do have an impact, may have a massive impact, and it may push them in a certain direction. Not necessarily, look, they will be responsible in the eyes of God for their decision, no doubt. At the same time, do we really want to make somebody stumble to be the reason somebody is has stumbled? But I think, Will, you hit on an interesting point. The hypocrisy. One of the main areas of hypocrisy that you see in those who are deconstructing is looking at their parents. I have had multiple people who maybe even had preachers as parents, um, and they come to therapy, and the the story that they tell from their their preacher dad or whatever else versus who you know who they actually knew it was, or it, it, and not even necessarily in the therapy world. We've heard this from personal stories of yeah, this was the way it was at home. Um, Why is it, do you think, that there is such a stereotype about preacher's kids, right? right. The idea that they're the most rebellious ones, right? That, that's, that's a something trope all throughout Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, something else is happening at home, and it speaks to the hypocrisy within the home. And so you grow up where your dad gets up and preaches this amazing lesson in front of everybody every Sunday and is screaming at you and, and you know, is domineering and is a just not a good guy, and you're seeing him cuss and you're seeing him drink or whatever. Those are stories that happen and you're supposed to square this with Mr. Religion on Sunday. As parents, so as, as church members, we have a responsibility to make sure we're not making people stumble. As parents, we have to think of it the same way. We cannot be hypocrites. If you believe something, you got to believe it wholeheartedly, and you got to make sure that your life is lived accordingly because our kids are watching. For sure. I, I, in all this, I think uh, it, it brings to mind the Scarlet Letter, you know, the, the classic novel, and it's one of those that I think... A lot of the criticisms levied in that are very parallel to the criticisms of uh, the deconstruction people. Uh, but then it, the things the book gets wrong are things they get wrong as well, which we're going to get to towards the end of it. But you know, very much this this harshness, this judgmentalness, this uh, again hypocrisy of you're you're holding something above somebody else's head and, and hammering at them that they have to be perfect while you're not perfect yourself and. Um, you know, the, the shame, shaming somebody for their behavior and all that rather than leading them to repentance. And, and so sometimes there is that like very harsh, strong parenting or expectations and, and a feeling of a lack of forgiveness. There's, there's all of these things that come into it when they paint the church as being hypocritical of like, I have to be perfect, but you're not perfect. So this isn't fair. And I don't want to associate with people who are going to judge me in this way. And, And that's, you know, that word comes out a lot judging. I always felt judged. I, and, and there's lack of grace and, and all of these things. And so I think there's a fair criticism. And when you brought up stumbling blocks, we've talked about this a couple times, I think, uh, is that these people are responsible for themselves. They will stand before God responsible for walking away from the faith. There will also be other people responsible for that. Their parents, teachers, elders. And, and that's why it says, let not many of you become uh, uh, teachers, because you might be that person who says something or teaches the Bible in such a way 
that it gives somebody a wrong idea of what the faith is or tells them that, you know, the Bible is not consistent or there's hypocrisy or whatever it may be, that it's not possible to please God, whatever the, the teaching is. And so, yes, there are stumbling blocks. That's, you know, Matthew 18, Joe quoted earlier. I think that was James 3 I just quoted. There's a number of ways in which that hypocrisy, that, that the, the church that they are shown can lead them to walk away. And so um, it's, and, and that's, again, a lot of these deconstruction stories, that's what they point to is something that was told to them in the church, something that was taught. And I don't think we should 100% take their word for everything because some of the criticisms, there's things where I was around for the accusations that the person was making. It's like, it wasn't the way that you think it was. Sure. But on the other hand, there is some validity to when somebody says, man, I was never given any grace for anything. I was always made to feel like I was dangling above hellfire every time I, I did something wrong. And, and every time I sinned, I was unsaved until I repented again. And I mean, just all kinds of wrong teaching about forgiveness and grace and Jesus' sacrifice and everything. And and that's a heavy weight that the church should look at and think, we got to get this right so we're not giving people a false view of who God is. Well, and you might be sitting here listening, kind of wondering, well, why, why does it sound like these guys are defending the, the people that walked away from the church? But, it, and first of all, as we're going to get into, we're, we're by no means saying that we need to change our message or that we need to compromise scripture. If you've listened to any of our other episodes, you know that is not the case. That's not what we're saying. But you study the New Testament, you study Acts, you study kind of the, the way that the church started and the way that it grew there was a magnetism there. There was a drawing people in and a, you know, people wanted to be a part of this group that we, to put it simply, just don't see a lot of anymore. That's not to say that evangelism doesn't happen or that people aren't being added to the church. That's not it at all. But again, how many episodes have we brought up the, the way that our numbers are, 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 are decreasing rather than increasing? It seems as though the magnetism that existed in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, as people were wanting to, to know more about this special group of people, it's gone the opposite direction. People are distancing themselves further. And so if you're sitting here wondering why are these guys, you know, kind of defending them, it's not necessarily a defense. It's more of a, we need to, once again, take a closer look at what are some things that we might be doing to add to this, to, to be a catalyst for some of this. Not that, not that, again, that we need to change the message or anything like that, but we need to look at the problem and see what the symptoms are. Interestingly, in the church, we can be so individualized that we don't understand the generations. We don't understand why the generations and, and grandparents being involved and in everything is so important. And we don't understand why the church is... We, we talk about the church family, but when it comes to somebody making a decision, we act like it, it happened in a vacuum. As though none of these things, you know, none of these things push them toward that. This is not blaming um, the other side as much as we're trying to place responsibility on the appropriate shoulders. So... As, as we begin introducing it, we want to make sure that we're not just so heavy-handed on the side of how dare they leave the faith. We're devastated, honestly, well, that we have so many people our age that are walking away, and we're looking at it going, why and what can we do about it? And that's really the second part of our outline, unless, Will, you wanted to... Well, I, I don't something. know if this is where you're headed, but the other thing about uh, the reason why a lot of younger people are leaving the faith is because there was kind of an, an atmosphere and environment of don't ask questions, right? Of, of questions are bad. Questioning God is bad or questioning God's word is, is bad. And my dad is somebody who's taught on Christian apologetics, you know, for 20, 25 years now. And he's always said, it's not wrong to question. It's not wrong to have questions, to wonder how can I know God exists? How can I know the Bible's inspired? What's, you know, what might or might not be wrong is how you go about answering those questions. But I think for a lot of 
younger people, for a lot of people who have left the faith, they might have felt like there was an embargo on any kind of questioning, that they just couldn't ask any questions. It was, nope, just kind of do what you're told. We've always done it this way, the traditionalist thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, yeah. And I think or that, the fear tactic of, you know, somebody asks a question. It's like, oh, my goodness, how in the world could you ask this why question? Why would you ask that? Right? Why would you yeah. ask that? Yeah, are you are you thinking of leaving the faith? And then they kind of manifest that sure. themselves of, they push their kid to, oh, I guess I can ask that question. I guess that's not a, a question that we want to. Well, let me go to Google. Let me go to my friends. Let me go to other people. Literally anybody will, else, right. Seriously, that will answer that question. And atheists are all too happy to invite you into the fold, invite your kid into the fold to answer the tough questions of life, quote unquote. And we could do the same. We as Christians can do the same. These things are happening, especially you think about the time kids are walking away as we're talking 18, 19, 20, maybe up to 25, we're seeing a massive amount First off, that goes hand-in-hand hand with college. I'm not a big fan of sending kids off to college for, for this reason. Um, I'm, I'm fine with college, but we did online, and I think it was great because we were still able to, to be um, solid where we were and to participate in the church. But this is also a time where kids are figuring themselves out. They're figuring out life. What is life about? Uh, who am I in life? And, and what's my role here? What am I doing here? So, of course, they have questions. We should invite those from a Christian perspective and not be freaked out if they say, is there a God? How do we know there's a God? We say, well, that's a great question. How about we walk through that and show instead of, well, has, has none of my teaching ever worked? I've been teaching you about God for the last 17 years. Why in the world would you ask that question? Take a deep breath, right? We'll take a deep breath and recognize this is part of the process of them figuring out who they are and everything about life. Be willing to accept the question and say, let's go back to God's word. Or, if, if even if they're saying, well, God's word isn't isn't accurate, that's not, um, you know, we don't believe that. Okay, first, where are you getting that from? Who's telling you these things? Well, this is just something I've been thinking. All right, well, let's go study it. Be a team in this. We want to be a team. But when we're a team, that means we also can call them out when there are things that they are doing that are clearly wrong. Things that that you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I've been hurt by people in the church. Hey, we get it. That can happen. That's no excuse. We cannot allow our spirituality and our religion and our Christianity to hinge on somebody else being nice to us, right. on somebody else treating us well. That that can't happen. Should they? Yes. Will they always? No. People are human. At the same time, I think there are some that we can absolutely um, call out as wrong, maybe as selfish, and as uh, clearly running in the opposite direction for a specific selfish reason. Jack, get us into that. Well, uh, before we do, just to kind of recap what we just went over there of some of these reasons the contentions given are the hypocrisy of their parents or, or church leadership or whatever else. Um, as you said, inability to ask questions, um, you know, difficulty with biblical teachings. Uh, we didn't get into too much on that, but, you know, looking at it and saying, well, I, I wouldn't believe in a God who, and I, we mentioned that there's a lot of deconstruction stories out there. Um, Rhett and Link, very popular YouTubers. If you don't know who they are, if you have kids, I'm sure your kids know who they are. Um, both, you know, have, I think they did like an hour long video on, we grew up in church, but here's why, you know, we don't really believe in that anymore. And, uh, you know, I just, I couldn't believe in a God in the old Testament who would kill all these people. And, and, you know, the more I thought about that, I, uh, why would I need to believe in the God of the new Testament? Either? Why do I need any of this? And so they just throw out the whole thing. And 
uh, Aaron Rodgers, the football superstar, did a video a couple years ago about growing up in youth group and having questions. And I've actually got his quote in front of me, Jack. Go I'm going to read it because it, it kind of sums up exactly what you're saying. He says, I don't, uh, I don't think it's very welcoming. Religion can be a crutch. It can be something that people have to make themselves kind of feel better. And because it's sort of binary, it's us and them. It's saved and unsaved. It's heaven and hell. It's enlightened and heathen. It's holy and righteous and sinner and filthy. I think that makes a lot of people feel better about themselves. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. Like what type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation to a fiery hell at the end of all this? And those types of questions really are at the heart of a lot of these deconstruction stories that you're talking about. That perfectly captures it. I mean, I, I think, listen to that again if you didn't catch all of it, because I mean, like there, there's a lot there of this ideology. And, and that's, I think, the thing we're kind of transitioning towards a little bit is the questioning God. You're told God is love, but you see a God who floods the world, a God who's going to, you know, burn it all, a God who is going has hell is a reality with this God. And so they go, well, those two things don't compute. God doesn't make sense to me as I would have him be. God doesn't act the way that I would act, therefore he's not real. Uh that's a logical non sequitur. But that's really the thing I want to get at here is such a big part of this. The logic does not line up. Because, okay, well, God could be the meanest being in existence. That doesn't mean he's not real. Uh, you know, right. like, you still have to wrestle with the fact that he, he exists, that matter exists, that, that life exists. Therefore, there had to be a creator. I mean, there, there's just logical things you cannot get around. But, well, he doesn't act the way I would want him to, or he comes across kind of harsh to me. Therefore, he, he doesn't exist. That, that doesn't make sense. But it is one of it's those a, things. Sorry, I was just say it's a very self-important mindset. The yeah, idea that just because right. you don't understand it doesn't mean that, or means that it doesn't exist. Right. Like, that's kind of again just kind of an arrogant, self-important mindset. Right. Right. He got, and it's the Job thing. God has to justify himself to me. Why would God be this way? You know, that's exactly what God told Job: is I don't have to justify myself right. to who on earth do you think you are, Aaron Rodgers? Who do you think you are? But you hear this a lot with people in the church, not or people deconstructing away from the church is. God comes across as really mean, harsh, judgmental, whatever else. Um, you'll hear, well, I, when I went to school and learned science, it just doesn't add up anymore. Well, we know scientifically, again, those things I just mentioned, it's scientifically impossible for matter to create itself. It just is. And so there's no amount of science you can learn that rules out the existence of God. But man, it was really sad as we were preparing for this. I was reminded of a, a girl I grew up that was in my Bible class every Sunday for my entire childhood exact thing happened, and sadly, she passed a few years ago, very young, I mean, she's my age, um, after she had deconstructed her faith, walked away from the church, and had just said, you know what, I, I went to college and was studying science, and I just, there's not a God anymore. But here's the thing I want to get at with this, with the Aaron Rodgers thing, when you start peeling the layers back on these, the heart leads the head. The heart leads the head, and, and that's. I'm not saying they don't have reasons that make sense to them in their mind, reasons that they can logically explain why they think that. We can argue with them all day long, but it's not about, it's rarely that somebody hears a convincing argument that, you know, I'm, I'm the world's strongest Christian, and then one day somebody asks me a, a question, and I can't answer it, and that's the end of it. There is the heart that walks us away from God, and this is something um, in Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, where he talks about how we can all see the world so differently, how people can disagree so strongly on things, and he uses this illustration of the elephant, if you guys don't mind me bringing this into it, of 
you uh, you know when you see a person riding an elephant and you think oh he's he's kind of he's got reins or a rope or you know something in his hands you know he's directing that elephant where he wants it to go no he's not it's an elephant where if it sees something if it gets spooked by something it's going to go exactly where it wants and he, there's nothing he can do about it but what he's saying is our heart is the elephant our head is the guy riding the elephant and what happens is the elephant goes where it wants and the head, you know, the guy on top goes, well, this is where I wanted to go all along. This, this makes sense to me. And so our brain, he, he goes into in depth in this book how our brains are very good at making up logical explanations that fit why we are where we are. Why this, you know, why I, I drove the elephant over here. No, when the elephant did whatever he wanted. So your heart walks you away from God. Your head says, well, this is why I walked away from God. It's because evolution is just too overwhelming, the evidence or whatever else. Or uh, I walked away because the hypocrisy, you know, the, the Christianity is just a lie. Uh, God is too mean. Here's my logical thing. But deep down, it, it always starts in the heart. I think the evidence for this is, and again, this might be a generalization, but I don't think it is, where you have a lot of these deconstruction stories, these people who have walked away from the faith, and very rarely is it, at least from the people that I've interacted with, very rarely is it a, well, I, I was I was doing a lot of reading and I heard a lot of stuff and I listened to podcasts and this and that, and the logic of those arguments convinced me to leave the faith. It's usually not the way it is. Usually, it, even though they're not going to come out and say this, it's I have a certain lifestyle, a certain way that I want to live. I don't like the... Uh, rules, guidelines, whatever you want to call it, that that a God demands with certain morals. I have a certain way I want to live. I have certain behaviors that I want to enjoy, and so I will find a reason to leave the faith. You know, it, that's the, that's the elephant thing that you're talking about. Is I've, my heart is taking me this way, and so I'll find a way to rationalize it in my head, whether it be evolution or the hypocrisy or any other thing. Well, consider Joshua Harris, who you know, I kissed dating goodbye, yeah. uh, really kind of sparked that that whole movement. Um, really questioning dating. We did a, obviously done a discussion on that, but he left the faith and there for a time, I think he's taken it down, but there for a time had a class that he offered on deconstructing your faith. Here's how I got out of mine. And it was a paid class. He was making money to take people away from the church. There's a special place in hell for guys like that, in my opinion. Um, this is the millstone around the neck, right? But what really was going on behind the scenes? He wanted to cheat on his wife. Uh, he he wanted to go with another woman. I don't remember if it was the same announcement or if it was like within a couple of days of each other. It was, I, I'm not a Christian anymore. I've walked away from the faith. By the way, look at this picture of me and my new girlfriend. Yeah. While he was still married. Yeah. I, I mean, pretty pretty bad. Uh, this That perfectly illustrates your guys' point of, I think he very much wanted to do something that was not allowed. He knew wasn't allowed from a Christian perspective. All of a sudden, he's enlightened. All of a sudden, isn't that convenient? Wow, how convenient! (laughs) And then again, two days later, or whatever it is, uh, here we go. That's that's what it is. It's a lifestyle change, and so the heart is leading the head. But for all of these eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-olds, maybe up into again close to thirty, that we see leaving the faith, I agree with you. I think it's a heart issue. What would you say is the main driving point? Um, that's causing these heart issues to begin with. Not the head issues. We know who's, we know the colleges, we know TikTok, we know all sorts of things are really taking them away from the faith from a logical perspective. What do you think is taking their heart away from the fathers and, and mothers? My first inclination would be to say that their hearts were never really invested in Jesus in the first place. And once again, generalizing, I understand that. But when you consider, at least from my experience, the people that I've seen walk away from the faith, the people that y'all have brought up, 
if you have, and it sounds cheesy, but if you have a heart for Jesus, if you have a heart that loves Jesus, the other stuff is going to, in a way, work itself out. It's when you kind of have this shallow faith, this idea of your, it's an inherited faith, right? A, a faith that you just got from your parents. You're just kind of going through the motions. I mean, you see it with young people, right? They go to class, they go to youth group stuff. They're, you know, at church every time the doors are open, but do they have a relationship with God? No, they do not. And so the first time, you know, they get to college or the first time they're away from mom and dad and something pulls at their heartstrings, a behavior, a person, whatever it is, they didn't have that, that heart relationship with Jesus Christ and with loving God, the father, and really even with their parents in the first place. And so it doesn't take much to pull them away. That would be my, my answer as far as that goes. Jack, how about you? I'm going to say it's very much a peer pressure thing. We live in a anti-Christian culture, a growingly anti-Christian culture, especially generationally. If you're 60 years old, you do not understand the pressure on a 15, 20, 25-year-old among their peer group, if they go to school, you know, you're in college, whatever else, to accept things. If you're the one who says, you know what, I'm not really okay with homosexuality, you're the worst person in the world. You're I mean, ostracized. You yeah. are ostracized. You are a hateful bigot. And so to publicly own that is really hard. You might not have any friends. You might lose friends that you had. And so that I do not want to downplay the weight of that. And, and so I'm, I'm not saying it's okay. I mean, obviously, certainly it's not okay to say, well, my friends are going to be mad if I hold to the Bible, so I shouldn't. But, I mean, that's something you're seeing more and more often. And I've heard this from church leaders of we've got young people coming in and, you know, they want to be part of the church, but they are pro-LGBT. They are pro-abortion. They are pro this, that, and the other thing. And so churches have a decision to make at that point of do we try to appease them and say, well, it's okay to be that. We've got room for everybody. Or, man, if we draw a hard line on this, they might walk away. Well, you have to draw a hard line because it's the scriptures. We're, we're not trying to appease. We're not trying to make the the fence comfortable to sit on. You've got to pick one side or the other, but there is a tremendous cost right now, and that, I think, is where the heart is being pushed away. To that point, the uh, Godly Young Men podcast, the Jim podcast episode that launches tomorrow, is really about this very thing. It's, it's episode five, and we're talking to young men, Joe and I are, in that episode about it's time you stand up and say the hard things. Um, the problem is we have a lot of 30, 35, 40-year-old uh, men in the church, because, again, the podcast is, is aimed at men, who are not saying the hard things. It's more of a, well, we don't want controversy. You know, It's better to just kind of blend in with everybody. And so we ha- that's why we have the young people who – you know, I, I just say why. That's one of the reasons why we have the young people who refuse to stand up for anything, refuse to disagree with the majority uh, opinion, that refuse to to try to swim upstream when the culture is pushing them downstream. And so that very much relates for the, for that episode that drops tomorrow. It very much relates to this: the idea of whether it be a very minor thing, an opinion, or whether it be something that is very very important, like these spiritual truths that we're talking about. Young men have to have the courage, and of course young women too, to stand up and say difficult things, to say things that your, your their friends or the majority opinion or online social media is going to disagree with, and right now we just don't have that. This is something I, I want to just reemphasize again. Generationally, you just don't understand it if you're insulated from this. If right. you have a job where it's not a thing, I I think I've mentioned recently that I'm doing some trying to do some freelance work on the side to support our focus or my focus press work. Every company I've tried to, to work with are just saturated in critical theory, intersectionality, pro-LGBT, pride stuff. I mean, Wokeism. it's it's all over everything they do. And, and talking to church members uh, back when I was in Forney of like, 
they constantly pressured, hey, call that little boy a girl if he wants to be, and you know, let them use whatever restroom they want in your school building, or, or just whatever, you know, hey, we've got this corporate training where you've got to go learn pronoun sensitivity, and that's in know, Texas. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, just yeah, exactly, Bible Belt kind of all of that stuff, and so. And, and I mean, there's stuff, there's literally stuff I can't do. Like, you know, there's, uh, I, I'm, I'm really into sports. I wanted to just freelance and write some stuff for a, a, a sports site, you know, for one of my favorite teams. I I can't. Literally, they would look me up on Google, and not that I'm a, a big person, but they'd find me on Google, find a couple of my articles. I can't. I, I mean, just literally, in fact, I've, I've had that before. Like, oh, you're this guy who says this? And like, yeah, I am, and I, you got to stand behind it. And so, not only are you risking your friend group, your... Uh, your peer group, you're you're risking career opportunities, you're risking money, you're risking you know uh, all kinds of stuff for taking these stands. We should take these stands, and we should teach young people to take these stands. We should teach faith that God will provide even in the midst of this. But there is persecution that is on the table that was not faced by the last by by any generation in American history that young people are facing today. And so when you've got that pressing on your heart of my life, my, I might lose my job, might lose my friends. My entire life is going to be an uphill climb if I am an openly outspoken Christian who holds to biblical orthodoxy about all these kinds of things. That is the heart being weighed on heavily of my life would be way easier if I did not do this. That's right. And then the mind, again, the head goes and finds reasons for, well, God, you know, is, is too hateful, too harsh. You know, these, why shouldn't we accept these LGBT people? It's really mean to them not to. And so uh, that's, again, the heart driving the head and realizing this pressure on them is enormous. And so in in fighting against deconstruction, we have to help them see it's not going to be easy. I'm not, I'm not claiming it is, but it's really important that you do. Well, we have an entire episode coming next week, spoiler alert, on keeping kids faithful. Uh, and, and we want to get more into this. But I think that's a great point, Jack. Like, as we teach Christianity, we have to start teaching not from a... Well, everybody knows this. Everybody accepts it. And I almost, though we don't explicitly say that, I think we kind of do. We kind of have this idea that um, everybody goes along with this and this is just the way that it is. We need to start teaching our young people how to be countercultural. That it's not just okay to be countercultural. We have to be. Here's how you do it. Here's why this matters. We have to start building up their self-esteem from a younger and younger and younger age because we figure, well, they'll figure it out. They're not figuring it out. They're finding their self-esteem in their friends and in their workplaces. And this and made, else. not to continue to beat the dead horse, it's made exponentially more difficult when they go to public school. That's exactly it. And when they go to secular colleges where they're getting a lot of different stuff, and I'll be honest, even even some Christian colleges um, can still push some of this stuff. But then think about the jobs they're getting as they come out. They're getting these tech jobs, whatever else. You think you're going to walk in at, at IBM or whatever, one of these tech jobs, and IBM, what year is I it? I know. I, I was trying to think of tech, Cisco, <laughs> Apple, um, I mean, Apple like, Facebook. As he Google, talks into yeah. a MacBook. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. IBM. I don't know why IBM came up first, but that's that's the one that came to mind. So Apologies um, to anybody who works at IBM. Yeah, that's right. Uh, for being ancient. No. Um, but I would say anybody who's working in that, do you think they're really going to be accepted if they... So it's not just school. It's not just high school. It's not just you know the public schools and the colleges. This is, to your point, Jack, everywhere. We have to do a better job of creating countercultural warriors that don't have any problem standing against it. I didn't even mention evangelism. It's almost as if they have to work as Chinese missionaries. You yeah. cannot openly walk in in some of these places and try and convert somebody. Like That is an HR violation in, in some places. Uh, and so you have to do, as I said, like Chinese missionaries do, like 
kind of work on a friendship with somebody and outside of work now I'll have the chance to I mean it's crazy it, it, it it's it's very hard is the point I'm making and so the the appeal to deconstruct your faith is stronger than ever and so like you said we've got to go the other direction and you look at Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who show up in Babylon and the pressure is immense to conform we're not going to conform multiple times I mean over and over and over the first few chapters of no, we can't do that. We we're, we're holding to our faith. We're gonna before, keep before they even get to the idol part, the the things that they can and can't eat. Yeah, the the diet that right. they they stay on, and, and so I mean, just how strong they were. They knew who they were, and they hung on to it. Joseph uh, knew who he was, hung on to it, and you've got these were young people that that hold that example that that we have to have. Uh, and again, so as as we look at deconstruction, as we look at the pressures that are going to be put on people and again it's just all of these emotional things how can you believe in a god who says these two loving people can't get married how can you believe in a god who would say that 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 poor young woman you know doesn't have right over her own body how can you believe in a god who won't let women get up and preach how can you believe all of the the testing cultural points that we're faced with right now that all of their friends are again going to look at them as backwards for holding to it's really hard. it's the emotional buttons though that that they're pushing, which is, is all those things you just brought up, which we yeah. just addressed in the thing fast. Yeah, it's the heart thing. I do want to turn the tables a bit and, and kind of transition us, get your guys' thoughts on maybe some of the things that I, I seriously doubt anybody who's listening to the or that we have a listener who has already deconstructed and has walked away from the faith. Maybe we do. I don't know. But if let's say you know somebody who does. Um, one of the things that is frustrating to me personally about all these these people that for instance i've heard it well the church just that they wronged me so i'm never going to step foot in those doors again right kind of what we started with the idea that you've been hurt by the church and so you're going to you're never going to darken the doors of a church building again that is such a crutch and such an excuse at least from what i've seen of people who they just don't want to serve god they just it's the idea that if you really wanted to serve God, you wouldn't let anybody stop you. If you really wanted to 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 seek and you really wanted to know the truth, you wouldn't let what somebody did to you hurt you um, or to stop you from doing that. And I I go back, Jack, you just brought up the kind of the persecutions that we're facing today. On the other hand, on the flip side, and I guess we all can get into this next, I feel like for those people that do say, man, the church is just such an obstacle to me you consider what the first century Christians went through before they became Christians. And Paul was getting stoned. Obviously he was, you know, sent by Jesus, but you know, Paul was getting stoned. The first century Christians were running for their lives. There were so many things that they were going through and yet it was still worth it to them. They still wanted to be all in when it comes to Christianity. And we've got a lot of people who have quote unquote deconstructed, who got the feelings hurt, got a little offended. And so they were done with it doesn't add up. You can't let something like that. And again, I, I don't know that we have anybody listening who is deconstructed, but if you know somebody who does point out to them, look, these people in the new Testament, it was worth it to them. And so they kept pushing. And yet this, this, I, this victim mentality that we see just absolutely permeate the, the generations today really pushes this idea of, well, I got my feelings hurt. I got offended. So I'm just going to swear off the church forever. That means you really just don't want to serve God, and you're using people, you're using the church as an excuse. But what would you guys kind of have to say to that kind of the flip side of what we've been talking about? I brought up the Scarlet Letter earlier, and that that is the two sides of it. I say, like, it shows the excesses where, where people can use Christianity to go too far, and, you know, she's got to wear the, the letter A for the rest of her life for adulteress. Like, 
what about forgiveness and grace? You know, if in God's eyes she's cleansed, I mean, that, that, that should not stick with her. But on the other side, and that goes to, again, the things we opened up talking about of some churches do mess things up. Some churches do drive people away, and, and that's not good. But then for her part, and I think this is what you're getting at with a lot of the, the people today, there was a deserved level of ostracism. You commit adultery, that is a sin, and it's it's a very public thing. She's pregnant, everybody knows, you know, that's something's going on here. Like, that's not okay. And, and you look at, uh, I've been reading a really interesting book on uh, church discipline, um, South is the guy's last name. Um, I think this is the third book you brought up on this episode so far. Uh, I, if if, if our listeners are keeping track, yeah, Jack we got media. Jack's yeah. book club Dropping here. Jack Wilkie book club, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think anybody this can one. keep up. Yeah. Scarlet Letter, uh, I've, I, I just know the story. I don't think I've read the whole thing. But uh, um, anyway, so... Uh, well, now, now you, now you so got, sorry, I, I you cut you off. I apologize. All right. Um, uh, no, but uh, with this this South, but he he's going into Corinth, disciplining the guy who had his you know his stepmother essentially, and like you can just see the the point about the church discipline is this is awful. Everybody needs to know this is awful. Everybody needs to know it's not okay. And so when the church comes out, and I mean, how how often do we exercise church discipline? Is kind of the point the guy's getting at in the book is like it's only in those extreme circumstances when we do and we probably should be a lot better about confronting and dealing with things as is but it is that when somebody's told you can't do that that's a sin that's wrong and then you know that's where sometimes you just see somebody like throwing themselves on the ground going oh look what the church did to me no you should be ashamed of your sin in things like this and you should realize there's a guilt there because the point of the church discipline the point of your sin being confronted and you being told to stop doing that, the same point with that guy in Corinth, the same with, with any church discipline we see in the Bible, Let it, being let know this is not okay and you're going to lose on what you have in the church until you repent. And it's to bring about your repentance. It's not out of hatefulness of the church. It's not of the church thinking we're better than you and we don't like you anymore. It's we want you to repent and that means we can't continue to pretend things are okay when you do this. And so... This deconstruction thing of, oh, you know, the church was so mean to me. Well, if they, they said your sin was a sin, they're doing what they need to do. Imagine the the spiritual trauma, quote-unquote, of the guy in 1 Corinthians 5. <laughs> getting right. Paul, called out in a letter from the Apostle Paul. Yeah, he could have taken to YouTube and told his story. Of, That's you know, exactly it. Can you believe that leaders in the church are saying these things? You know, if he really wanted to take it that way, but that doesn't stop Paul from writing it. It doesn't stop the Holy Spirit from, from uh, inspiring Paul to write it. Those things need to be said. It's how we respond to a lot of those things, and this is why we will be judged for how we respond. Even if somebody says something that is incredibly mean, as you said, Will, I think it's an incredible crutch. But this also speaks to how the culture handles trauma, which gets into my neck of the woods, and it frustrates me to no end how much we can allow trauma to be something that is kind of like we'll never get over it. You know, well, this happened to me and that pretty much defines my relationship with God or defines my relationship with my parents or defines my relationship. It can be a a crutch, an enabler. uh, Right. You can wallow in it. Yes. And so you never get past it. And we see this also in parenting that, well, I have so much trauma from my childhood because my parents spanked me. Yeah. I'm not saying parent. Look, every parent, and I'm learning this myself, every parent does something that's bad. We make mistakes. We, we, you know, are too mean to our kids, yelled at my kids. You're uh, imperfect. We're imperfect. Whatever it may be. Every parent has a story, I'm sure, where they're not proud of. 
But you see all these kids who look back, and and this is one of the things that um, Alyssa brought up, one of her friends that is deconstructing, brought up gentle parenting. And I am really not a fan of gentle parenting, to be quite honest with you. And she the, basically the, the idea of not spanking is that what gentle parenting? Yeah, it's really not, you really, not even disciplining. Right, you really want to know what's going on in the child's head. You want to know the child's emotions. Look, all that's great. <laughs> the use saying, your words thing. Yes, yeah. and here's here's my problem with gentle parenting. It is actually a it's 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 on the crux of do you see kids as good or bad? And this gets into a different. And I want to take it into this discussion as well briefly, but. Do you see kids as good or bad? If you see them as good, that's gentle parenting where they're they're naturally good. We just need to make sure we foster them in the right direction to really help the good come out. Instead of they're they're fallen individuals, and as much as I love kids, they are part of Adam's fall. They ha- they share his sinful nature, desiring the things that they shouldn't. They are not good, and they do need Christ. When you believe that then you'll discipline. When you believe that, then spare the rod, spoil the child comes back because you say, man, I can't imagine my kid in his sin walking away from God. Instead of, my kid's pretty, he's, he's a good individual. He's a good kid. And so we need to make sure that we're we're maximizing that. And if I were to discipline him, it would really kill the good spirit inside of him. That's gentle parenting. That's how we get kids at 25, 26, 27. I call them kids. I'm 28 myself. Saying, I was abused by my parents. So much trauma. This is the spiritual trauma. This is the the parental trauma coming down. Look, I've worked with a ton of people who have legitimate trauma where they have all sorts of abuse, verbal and emotional and physical and even sexual abuse from parents. I'm not minimizing that in the least. Please don't please don't hear that. I'm not minimizing that. Um, I know very well that, that those things can happen. But I also grow very frustrated in those that are claiming I've been abused by my parents and they know... I uh, like nothing of that. The abuse is, yeah, I got spanked a little too hard. The abuse is my dad yelled at me. Um, those things happen. Those are mistakes by your parents. Maybe they don't own up, own up to it. But that's a real problem when we start throwing around this word trauma and thinking that that means we can never forgive them for the mistakes they made. So, number one, that was not an endorsement of original sin, just a matter of... No, ways, not at all. Not at all. I'm not saying we so, have sin. I'm saying the sinful nature desiring Sinful sin. tendencies. Correct. Sure. Right. So, and, and not the kids are sinning when they do that. They're just manifesting humankind. And so we did a whole... Uh, my uh, Once again, shout out my other podcast, Who Let the Dogma Out, a uh, whole episode on that of man being basically good versus fallen. Uh, so go check that out for a deep dive on that. Um but it, it gets at the heart of this whole thing because as you're talking about like parents who are imperfect and people blaming imperfect parents for why they're walking away from the faith or blaming the, the church for its hypocrisy, if your view is there are imperfect humans, therefore the system is broken, I've got to walk away, there's always going to be imperfect humans. If you walk away from the church, guess what you're going to be subjected to? Imperfect humans. And when people say, well, the church is full of hypocrites, like that's the point like that that's why jesus had to die for us right i mean like because we're not perfect people even after we're baptized i mean read romans 6 7 8 we're still struggling we're still overcoming we're still gradually having our, our flesh pulled out of us and the spirit instilled in us because we we're not perfect we you know man is not basically good man is not you know on the right path and just needs a little adjustment man is you know enemies of god all of these terms that the the new testament uses to say man, we've got a lot to overcome. And so when you, you look at that and somebody says, well, the, the church did this, the church did that, it's like, you need to expect that. And as part of this, like, strengthening young people against deconstruction is teaching them to expect you're going to be disappointed by humans. Your parents are human beings, 
And as Joe was saying, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Every parent does things that are not good for the kid. They're, you know, discipline or, or impatience or whatever else. And, and it, you know, it's possible to be better at those things and grow and improve, but you're going to bring those things into your parenting. Every church is going to have those things where people mess things up. And if, if somebody's view on it is, well, that disqualifies the whole message of the whole thing, they are going to walk away. That doesn't disqualify the whole thing. That's part of the plan. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I mean, just we have to teach the biblical understanding of, of really mankind and the church better. And grace and forgiveness. And right. that, that works. If you want forgiveness or if you want grace as a kid, you better be willing to extend it. That's when a great you're a kid point. Looking at your parents. There's no forgiveness going back towards the church. Grace going back Correct. towards the church. It wasn't perfect, therefore I'm leaving. It's like, but then you have the thing, well, I wasn't perfect, so they didn't forgive me. Like, so you're just continuing that same standard right. in reverse, right? Why don't you be the Christian? That's the that definition of hypocrisy, yeah. ironically. Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what I was about to say. Is you'll circle. notice all of these things come full circle. They feel hated by the church, so they hate the church. They feel their spiritual trauma, so they inflict spiritual trauma on the church. They feel um, that that they're not listened to, so they don't listen to the church. It all comes full circle, and it all circles around this idea of I I think people are mainly good, and when people in the church say that they're good and they're not actually good, it's like nobody's claiming that we're perfect. Um, another one was not to just to go off on this for a second, because I wanted to address it because this is something that we're also, we're seeing more of is the idea of internal family systems, which is a, a specific therapeutic approach. It's a trauma approach. Um, talking about there are eight C's to the core self, uh, compassion, I think clarity. Um, of course I blank on them now, but there's, there's eight C words or words that start with the letter C um, as to the self. We are mainly good and all of the things that we do are just informed by trauma. All the negative things. There's managers, firefighters, and exiles. Um, I use this in my therapy. I think it's a fantastic approach, but I recently was reading from some uh, reading somebody who is deconstructing and they brought it up and they said, what we're realizing is that all sin actually is just a trauma response and we shouldn't be held responsible for it, which is very, very interesting. It goes to, we're mainly good people. She's also a big advocate of gentle parenting. We're mainly good people who just have a lot of trauma. And this is something, again, the culture is lending toward this. We have spiritual trauma. Now we have trauma from our parents. And therefore, anything that I do, I'm not really responsible for. The excuse thing, once again. The excuse comes back around and we're back to, what's the point of Christianity then? And they're walking away from it. And I think... As a therapist, again, I, I think internal family systems is brilliant. I use it quite a bit. At the same time, you're still held responsible. Even if trauma, if traumatic things happen, I work with porn addicts all the time. Yeah, that's a lot of them are their their porn addiction started and was informed by trauma. You're still responsible for the decisions you make. You're still responsible for getting yourself out of it. This is where the heart, God, God notices the heart. The heart comes in and he says, Are you trying to get away from that? Are you trying to break free from the things that maybe that you ran to for trauma? God knows the brain. He knows the heart. He knows if you're making excuses and going away from him if, or if you're saying, I've been so hurt, but I'm giving it over to God and I'm turning toward him and I'm utilizing these methods to recognize that the love of God is at the core of everything. Instead, she's saying that the goodness, the, this particular person, and I think a lot of people are saying that the goodness of man is at the at the core of everything. That's why this is so broken, why people are falling apart in deconstruction is we're putting it all back on man, and we know that'll fall apart. Well, that's the key of a biblical worldview is 
uh, we're so big on this of the Bible touching every part of life. I mean, that's what we're trying to do in this podcast. That's what we're trying to do with all of the work of Focus Press is to show people how the Bible touches on everything you are as a human being, as a man, as a woman, as a parent, as a child, as a church member, as a citizen, as an employee, as everything else is that God has something to say about it. And God has something to say about the bad things that we do, that where it comes from, and, and if we're basically good, and, and all these ideas, these are all ideas built on a foundation that is not a biblical one, and so it makes sense that their conclusion doesn't end up a, a biblically correct one, and they walk away from the faith. And so this will be something we get into more next week on staying faithful. Not that we're saying that as parents. We have not raised faithful children, but we are all you know, children of, of families of, of faithful uh, those that grew up in the church and stayed in the church, and, and really what helped us along the way, I think, is what we're going to talk about next week. And that's such a big part of it, is viewing everything through a biblical lens and, and asking God, what does he have to say about it, before asking the therapist, the news broadcaster, the Wikipedia article, the YouTuber, everyone else, what they think about it, because, man, they come up with these bad ideas that sound really good to the heart, and then the heart drives the head, and there you go wandering out of the church. I want to steer us in a direction to kind of wrap us up here uh, with two questions. Um, really, and that this first one I'll answer, and I don't want to get too much into it because, again, the, the topic for next week is going to be about keeping kids faithful. But the first question, and I, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of somebody who might be listening with these questions, and the first question is, okay, I've got a, a 9- or 10- or 11-year-old right now. How, what do I do right now to basically mitigate the the possibility that they are going to deconstruct their faith. Basically, what can you do as a parent? And again, we'll save most of that for next episode. So I'm going to ask you guys to comment on that after I go here in a second. And then the other question is, let's say you know somebody, close friend, family member, who has deconstructed. That's really the one I'm going to, I'm going to kick to you guys. What What's your first approach? What, what do you say? Tips, uh, pieces of advice for that. Um, but for that first question that I'll go ahead and answer before handing it back off, about having what do you do for your kids the first thing that i'll say i guess the only thing i'll say because i don't want to use too much of it again is to stress personal accountability joe you kind of just hit on this young people cannot grow up in the church and, and get to the the baptistry and then leave at 18 thinking that just because their parents were faithful means that they're going to be faithful you you have to stress to your kids the fact that look Yes, you. while you're living under my roof, you're going to be going to church. But at the same time, you have to have a personal relationship with God. You have to want to grow your faith. You have to know why you believe what you believe. That has to be on you. Now, maybe not for a nine-year-old, but for, for a baptized Christian, for somebody who wants to become a child of God, these are things that it's personal accountability. They're not going to be able to get to judgment day and say, actually, uh, God, my, uh, my dad's going to give my uh, report for me, thanks, or my elder. You know, Yes, they're going to give account, but as y'all have said repeatedly in this episode, every individual is going to give account. And so I think that's, that's a message that a lot of young people don't get is that they are going to have to, to be personally accountable for, for their decisions. And so I think if for any parents that are listening, if you start stressing that to them as early as possible, again, just about the idea that, Hey, don't wait around for, for me. Don't wait around for your Bible class teacher, for your youth minister to grow your, your Bible study, your, your Bible knowledge is something we got into in the godly young men podcast. Again, about young men, it's time you step up in your relationship with God. Don't wait for your parents. Don't wait for your youth minister. And so that would be the one thing that I would say is make sure your kids understand there is personal accountability that goes with this. And don't let them just skirt through their faith and skirt through their Christian life thinking that, 
Well, because my parents have a strong faith means I'll have a strong one too. If the last 30 years have taught us anything, it's that that is most certainly not the case. But what do you guys have to add to that? Yeah, uh, to go right along with that, I would say two things. Create the need and create the relationship. And what I mean by that is you have to create the need. No, I, I don't believe in original sin. At the same time, I think we can all agree we are sinful beings. All sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? Fall short, meaning not fallen. Uh, we have all sinned and fall in the present, short glory, um, short of the glory of God. So we have to create in our kids a deep need for Christ. How do we get to the point where we're 18, 19, 20 going, do I really need this? We have to show from a very young age, we're all sinful. This means you as the parent needs to open up about your sins. You need to confess your sins to your kids. You need to admit when you're wrong. You need to show that, yeah, you know what? I still struggled at that age too with lust, or I struggled at that age too with whatever it is, or I still struggle with this. Be real about it and show that points to Christ. This is the thorn in the side, right? Uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. What does he say? He prays three times. It's not taken away. My grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in your weakness is what Christ is telling us. Our kids need to know that. They need to see the need, the, their overwhelming need for a Savior. And in that, how amazing is it that the Savior wants to know us? That we get to have a personal relationship with God because of Jesus, because he was the one that tore that veil, right? And so we want them to understand what a blessing it is to have a personal relationship, to show them what that looks like, to model that for them especially at 9, 10, 11, it's one thing for them to memorize scripture on their own. It's another thing for you to sit down and do it with them, for you to do Bible study with them, to do uh, the, you know, by Will's family worship guide. It's fantastic. Get that and, and start working on their personal relationship with God, which goes right along, Will, with what you're talking about and establish their deep need for a savior. Jack, how about you? Yeah, I think that's all really good. It, with the heart leading the head thing, you have to make the church and, and their Christian life and their family something where they just know they are loved, they're safe, they're cared for, that that's where they can turn. That if they go out and tell their friends, I'm a Christian, and they lose all of their friends, it's okay because they've got it back here. That the pressure pushes them inward towards the church and not away from. Um, you know, Because that's one of the other things is very much that you, know, you see parents let their kids go be friends with whoever. The friends... Peer pressure leads them, their heart, away from Christ. And then the first thing is when the, the church or the family are like, well, wh where are you going? Don't you believe this stuff? You know, and, and the family becomes the enemy. It's, I've got my friends. And, and Joe, you've talked about before, you know, somebody you knew that a, a child that decided they were a teenager decided they were trans. And the first thing the trans community did was, you know, take them in. You move in with me. Move in with me. I've got your back. I'm here for you. I, you know, like they they found acceptance there in in such a perverse way they need to know my acceptance it, when times get hard it's the church that i'm leaning back on so they need that they need prayer as much as could be you know you brought up you know needing a savior absolutely be praying for them i think of third john where he says i've no greater joy than my children walking in truth i don't i haven't even had a child you know grow up to that age but i can see what he's saying in I, just the other day, I saw a Facebook friend or came across something where somebody I grew up with years and years and years ago, haven't kept any contact with them, find out they've got a you know a family, married with kids, and they all go to church and they're active participants. It's one of the greatest things in the world. It's just incredible. I mean, like that, we want that for everybody. And so start working on things now that do that. Um, 
you asked two questions there, but it's been five minutes since you asked them, and and so I'm over here needing a, a refresher. Sure. The, the second, second question was, what would you, what do you say to somebody who has already deconstructed? You know, somebody, maybe it's a friend or a family member um, who they like. You brought up Joe with Alyssa. How do you bridge that gap? It, what I guess, what would the first step be? What What are some tips and advice you guys would give as far as okay, they've already deconstructed, whereas the first question was, okay, kind of how to how to stop that, if that makes sense. Yeah, knowing the heart and the head equation, it's very tempting to try to speak to the head the whole time and say, look, here's the here's the facts, let's argue about it, let's debate, I can explain to you why what you're believing is wrong. doesn't matter. If you, you can hit their head with information that they can't combat all day long, the heart's still in the wrong place. And so at that, I would say don't even argue about it that much. It's going to come up sometimes. Hold your line on the truth. Don't don't compromise because that's the worst thing you can do, and that's something a lot of Christians think we're supposed to do is give concessions. Do not do that, but also don't go arguing with them all the time. You know, say, here's what I believe. You know what I believe, but also that love of, like, look, this is where you want to be. This is, you know, Christ and his church, and this is something you're missing out on that you don't get to have because you've walked away from it. And so very much the relational, you know, truth is understood best through relationships because of the heart-head dynamic. And so keep that in mind. Remember, just bashing them over the head with the truth, as important as the truth is, is not going to get anybody back on the right track. I think that's great. And I would also add, give them that ear and ask them, hey, let's let's go to lunch. Come, o- come over to the house, whatever it is. Um, I'd like to just know your story. What's What's pushing you this direction? Uh, I think this is very important for us to understand why. And sometimes them just being able to get out their story, there may be a lot of hurt. We want to accept that hurt. We want to say, man, I'm so sorry that you've been hurt in this way or whatever else. If you can tell, it's not really driven by hurt. It's driven by, um, I want to do what I want to do. I think you're right, Jack. Speaking just to the to the head doesn't help, but we have to appeal to both. I can understand. We, we, want, we want to use a lot of terms like, I can understand this part. But have you considered this? Give them some things to consider to chew on and don't think that you're going to win the battle all in one where by the time they leave that coffee shop, you know, they're back in the Christian fold. They may not be. They've spent a lot of time thinking about this. It's very much like um, the homosexual sometimes coming out of the closet where by the time they do it, they've been thinking about it for a while. So don't think that one conversation is going to do it. Stay in their life. Continually and consistently have these discussions with them and give them a platform to say what they have to say instead of just immediately looking to shut them down and shout them down. Will? Yeah, I think that's great. And I, again, want to encourage everybody to stay tuned for next week because we are going to do a deep dive on keeping kids faithful. And, and we'll preface it in the episode. We sort of already preface it here. No, we do not have you know grown kids that we've raised to be faithful in the church. And so you know, have that qualifier in there. However, um, we know what our parents did. Um, obviously we're biased, but we think they did a pretty good job. We've seen other people. We know what they did. And and we've obviously been around people who walked away. And so we're not going to be coming into that episode saying we know it all do exactly the things that we say. However, we want to talk about it because these are things that, that Christian parents want to know. They need to know they're looking for answers. And so keeping kids faithful is, is going to be the topic for next episode. So I want to encourage everybody to stay tuned uh, for that next week. We do have a question, and I'm going to make the executive decision until we get a, a, a new or a better name. We're going to call it our group think segment. Uh, we're trying to have one question for every episode, at least one question that we're going to put out on social media for everybody to kind of give your thoughts and input on. 
we've said, hey, try to come up with a uh, cool segment name and uh, group think, in my opinion, has been the best one. It's kind of got a negative connotation, but I think it kind of gets the point across. I think that was my man Titus who came up with that. So shout out. Hey, Titus. I, I like our, it. One of our deep thinkers. So group think it is. Yeah. So the group think segment question for this week, again, will be out on Facebook, social media, comment. Um, in your opinion, what is the single biggest reason young people are leaving the church? What is the single biggest reason young people are leaving the church? And again, one, one last time, we're not trying to be negative. We're not trying to just constantly bash the church and this and that and the other. This is a question that we want to get a lot of input on because what can we fix, right? What are, what are some solutions that we can come up with? If somebody, if, if you have a thought, well, I think it's this, and this is in my experience, what I've seen, that's helpful for people to know. Again, it's not about just being negative and, and bashing people over the head. It's Hey, we're solution driven, solution oriented. We want to we want to to fix the problem. We want to do everything that we can to keep people faithful. So, again, the group think segment question: What is the single biggest reason young people are leaving the church today? Uh, make sure and comment on on Facebook and YouTube. And if there is a one that we didn't touch on uh, today, if there's if there's one that somebody mentions that we need to go back and touch on, we might look to do that in next week's episode. Even though it is about keeping people faithful, this all kind of wraps together. I would almost consider this a part one of two. Sure. Um, and so please let us know. Seriously, comment in this next week. And if it's something that we just completely missed, it's not on our radar, we would love to go back and address it for you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, again, stay tuned for next week. And with that, we're no, going to. In the 50 states. That's right. We said at the beginning, let us know what state you are listening from. We want to see, man, if we could get 50, that'd be super cool. We'll get it at some point. But the let post, us know. It's up on our Facebook. Uh, it's up on, or if you're listening on YouTube, drop a comment there. We're going to start our map. So, yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, we are going to wrap up there. Thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.